In the Bible, God presents himself as a bridegroom betrothed to his bride. For example, the prophet Isaiah writes, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. John the Baptist refused claims that he was the Christ and then said of Jesus, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom rejoices greatly in the bridegroom's voice. In Ephesians, the church is called the Bride of Christ because, well, Jesus is our bridegroom. Now, all of this might sound a little strange until you understand ancient Near Eastern culture. It's not, here comes the bride. It's, here comes the bridegroom. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. When Jesus comes again, he will return like a thief in the night. He'll also be coming like a groom for his bride. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and you're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Well, what does marriage have to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ? Perhaps much more than you may have guessed. Ron dives into the subject next as he continues his teaching series, What on Earth is Happening? Examining the Prophecies of Jesus. Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. From Matthew chapter 25, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, The Midnight Cry. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins or bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent or wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he said, truly I say to you, I do not know you. And then Jesus concludes in verse 13, Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Well, we've been in this series of messages titled, uh, What on Earth is Happening? We've been working our way through the Olivet Discourse. We went back 2,000 years ago to a time just days before the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ when he met with four of his disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. You ought to know that by now. And uh, he was answering questions that they had about the end of the age. Uh, in weeks past, we've looked at some general signs of the times that he told us to look for. 
Uh, he, he went specifically into a, a, a point in time known as the midpoint of the tribulation period, uh, an event and a time period future to us today, and he talked about something called the abomination that causes desolation. We went all the way back to Daniel chapter 9 to bring context and understanding to that. Uh, we talked about the day Christ returns and how nobody knows the day or the hour. The angels don't know. Uh, the Son of Man, Jesus said, doesn't know. Only the Father in heaven knows. As, as we go from Matthew 24 now to Matthew 25, Jesus continues the conversation. But Jesus, who is both the Son of God and the Savior of the world, was also a master storyteller. Everybody loves a good story. And I love reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we land upon uh, at least, I think, 38 parables that Jesus told, stories that he told in a very masterful and purposeful kind of way. And he tells two stories in Matthew chapter 25, one we're looking at today. I've titled this message, The Midnight Cry. Uh, the, the, the big idea behind this parable is really a question, are you ready? Are you ready for the midnight cry? Now, the Bible describes the second coming of Jesus Christ as happening in sort of a clandestine way. Uh, we've come across this phrase a couple of times, even in Matthew chapter 24, the idea that when he comes, he will come as a thief in the night. Uh, Jesus describes his own second coming that way, and then the New Testament writers pick up on that, and throughout their writings, uh, they talk about uh, uh, the second coming of Jesus happening as a thief in the night. But that's not the only way that the Bible or Jesus describes his second coming. Uh, there's another way he describes his return. Jesus says, I will also return like a groom coming for his bride. We sang about it just a few minutes ago. You know, like a bride waiting for her groom, we are the church waiting for him. That is good biblical theology, and it flows from stories like this in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus tells a story about a wedding, about a marriage that was taking place uh, 2,000 years ago. Here's the question that I brought to my study this week. What does marriage have to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ? <laughs> a whole lot more than you ever thought it did. And we're going to unpack that today. Perhaps the most powerful picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ and the most compelling case we can make for it comes from the marriage relationship. And Jesus illustrates this best when he tells this story in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. Now, before we get to some of the details of the parable, I just want to pause for some, some observations about this story. This describes a wedding ceremony that would take place 2,000 years ago, but this is a wedding unlike most any of us in the West have ever experienced. Culturally, weddings, uh, well, they were different. And the cultural background of this wedding is absolutely necessary for us to understand what Jesus is talking about here and, and, and why uh, Jesus describes himself basically as a heavenly groom coming for his bride. Jesus promised not only will I return, but this story, listen to me very carefully, this story tells us why he 
must return, why he absolutely must return as our heavenly groom to get his bride, uh, who we know to be in New Testament terms, uh, the bride of Christ or the church. In the ancient Near East, and specifically in the region of Galilee where most of the disciples were from, the bridegroom was the focus of the wedding ceremony, not the bride. In fact, the cry that you would hear, the midnight cry is, here comes the groom, here comes the groom, the groom is coming. Now, I know that's, that's foreign in our understanding of weddings in the West, because in the West, last wedding that I officiated, it was all about the bride, right? And if we've got a groom here, that's great. Can anybody stand in here? But this is all about the bride from the very beginning, from the moment of engagement. It's all about the bride. We say, here comes the bride, here comes the bride, but not in a wedding in this context. 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East and the Galilean region from which the disciples came, they said, here comes the groom. Here comes the groom. We were talking about this in my life group, and one of the ladies in the life group said, well, thank God things have changed in 2,000 years, right? And every uh, would-be bride uh, would agree with that. But you've got you to take your understanding of a wedding in our culture and lay that aside for a moment because it's all about the groom. In Jesus' time, when two people in love wanted to get married, they entered what was called the betrothal period. The closest analogy we have is an engagement. But the betrothal was more, uh, uh, well, it had more uh, teeth to it. Uh, the betrothal uh, was a legal arrangement, and uh, you were legally married once you were betrothed. There were no sexual relations between the bride and the groom until they got married. And the betrothal period would last for up to a year. Um, and it was a time when uh, the groom made a promise to his bride. And it was also the time when they entered into that betrothal period when the father of the groom paid the dowry. <laughs> you know, I, ha I have a son and a daughter of marrying age. Neither of them are married right now, but I kind of like this idea of a dowry. I mean, maybe when my daughter gets married, we'll do an ancient Near Eastern wedding and somebody can pay me a dowry. Uh, maybe not. She probably wouldn't go for that. But uh, th this is the, uh, the culture of, of that day. And during that time, during the betrothal period, both the bride and the groom were busy preparing for their wedding day, a specific day in the future known only to the father of the groom. Now, again, this, this is not in line with our cultural understanding. In our culture, you know, it's all about the bride. And the bride and the groom together, they set their wedding date. You know, they're the first ones to know. Um, neither parents get involved all that much in the setting of the day. But in this culture, the bride and the groom would prepare for their wedding, but the father of the bride is the one that, the only one that knew the day or the hour when he would turn to his son and say, son, go get your bride. In the meantime, during the betrothal period, the bridegroom, listen to this, would go back to his father's house. He would go back to his father's house. It may be near, it may be far, but he would go back to his father's house and begin a construction project. He would start adding on to the rooms of his father's house. Why? Because on that day, 
when the groom's father turned to his son and said, go get your bride, he would go and return, get his bride, marry her, have the celebration, the wedding feast, and then bring her back to his father's house, and that's where they would live. That was the culture of the time, and uh, everybody knew that. Now, what was also traditional about this was nobody knew the day or the hour when the father of the groom would say, go get your bride, but traditionally it happened around midnight, okay? And that comes into play in the story as well. Up next, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Midnight Cry. And if you're listening to Something Good Radio for the first time, we'd like to send you a free chapter of Ron's most popular book, Mysteries of the Afterlife. Consider it our way of saying thanks for being part of our radio listening family. Stop by our new and improved website, somethinggoodradio.org, and click the I'm New icon right at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, share your prayer request with us by clicking on Explore at the top of the homepage, then scrolling down to the How Can We Pray For You option. Our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer, so contact us anytime. Earlier in today's message, Dr. Ron Jones asked the question, what does marriage have to do with the second coming of Christ? The answer is everything. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Midnight Cry. Uh, nobody in the wedding party, including the bride and groom, knew the day or the hour, but it was everybody's responsibility to be ready for any time, to be ready for that moment. Um, one other thing to keep in mind here, because the groom's return would typically happen at midnight, it was important for the wedding party to have lamps. Because what would happen is the groom would return, grab his bride, and with the wedding party, they would start a procession through the streets of the city known as the Torchlight Parade. This was the beginning of their celebration. And the wedding party would grab their lamps filled with oil, and they would light them up in this parade all the way through the city, ending up in the place where the wedding would be performed, and they would enter into that place, and they would shut the door. And they would stay there to have the wedding ceremony, the bride and groom would have their wedding night, and then there would be upwards of a week-long wedding feast that would take place. And once they shut the door, nobody got in or out. And all of that is part of the culture that uh, Jesus brings in uh, this particular story. What's interesting in the reading of this particular parable, Matthew 25, 1 to 13, I won't take the time to read it again. Do that on your own time. The bride is never mentioned. The ten virgins or bridesmaids are mentioned. Five of them are called wise and five are called foolish. Five prepared for the groom's return. Five did not. And then again, it's all about the groom. Here comes the groom. Here comes the groom. The, the bride is implied in the story, but she's never mentioned. And I think there are probably two reasons. Number one is the cultural reason that I just unpacked. She's not the center of attention in an ancient Near Eastern wedding and especially in the Galilean region from which the disciples came. But there is also maybe a theological one we could bring to bear as well. We know as New Testament believers, we think of uh, 
uh, the bride of Christ as the church, and rightly so. In the progress of Revelation, the New Testament writers unpack this. In the Old Testament, Israel was called my bride by Yahweh, all right? The wedding analogy is even there. But in the New Testament, it shifts, and the bride of Christ is the church. But don't get too far ahead in your theology, because in Matthew 25, we're just days before the crucifixion. The only mention of the church happened in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus was with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, and he said these words, these familiar words, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You will look for vain in the Old Testament for any hint or reference to the church. This idea of the church, the ecclesia of God, was a mystery unfolding ever so slightly at Caesarea Philippi, but the disciples hadn't clued in. So they're not thinking so much in terms of our heavenly groom coming for the bride of Christ, which again is why perhaps the bride isn't mentioned here. Uh, we have a tendency to fast forward the theology behind the context of the time in which this uh, story was told. Uh, so what is this midnight cry? Let me uh, define it for us. The midnight cry mentioned in this story is the anticipated moment, that moment in Bible prophecy when Jesus, our heavenly groom, returns for his bride, the church. And the question of the story is, are you ready for the midnight cry? For this one who is coming, yes, is a thief in the night, but according to the story, who's coming like a groom back for his bride. There was one other occasion I know in the Gospels when Jesus drew from this uh, deep cultural well in the marriage and, and wedding analogy, and that was just a few days later when he was with his disciples in the upper room, and he shared these encouraging words that are recorded in John chapter 14. In light of what you know about the culture behind the text, Listen to what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not true, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Those are the words of Jesus on the night before he was crucified comforting his disciples. He was speaking like the heavenly groom who was going back to his father's house. Now, keep in mind, three days later, or rather uh, just hours later, he'd be on the cross. Remember the dowry that I was talking about? Where at the beginning of the betrothal period, culturally, the father of the groom would pay the dowry. This is what happened when Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. The father of the groom paid the dowry for the bride, who is the church. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this, folks, when you just, when you, when you begin to understand the richness of the analogy here, which is the wedding and the marriage relationship, and the impact that it has on our understanding of uh, these kinds of things. What does marriage have to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ, it has everything to do with it. Not only to say to us that Jesus will return as he promised, but he 
must return because he made a promise. That's the betrothal. The dowry has been paid in full. That's why you don't have to work for your salvation. You don't pay God for your salvation. The groom's father already paid it. And Jesus went to the cross, went into the grave, rose again three days later. Forty days later, he ascended to the Father. He went back to his Father's house. And for 2,000 years, get this, can you imagine the construction project? He's adding on rooms right now. And there's a room for you. This isn't limited to just a, you know, a duplex. <laughs> there's room for you. Is he building that room for you? Take comfort in these words from 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Thanks for being here for today's Something Good Radio message, The Midnight Cry. And if you miss part of today's message, or if you'd like to hear it again, visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. If you've been with us for a while, if you're a regular listener and God is using this broadcast in your life, I want to speak directly to you. When you first tuned in or streamed something good, did you know that other people paid to air that program? We call them our ministry partners. They have people just like you in mind when they donate monthly to something good, which is a 100% listener-supported ministry. Now that you're a regular listener, will you do the same? Will you help us share something good with someone else? We created the 828 Club for people who choose to partner with this ministry through prayer and monthly financial support. It's based on Romans 828, which in the message says, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider joining the 828 Club today by giving $28 or more per month to share something good with someone else. And when you do, we'll send you some resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. It's our way of saying thanks for your partnership in this gospel ministry. So please join the 828 Club today. Here's Brian with all the details. None of us can accomplish God's will without a little help. Today, with your help, Something Good Radio will keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through these radio and internet broadcasts. When you partner with us, we'll send you a free copy of Ron Jones' full-length book, Mysteries of the Afterlife. Exploring its amazing secrets. To join the 828 Club today, please visit our new and improved website, somethinggoodradio.org, and use the Partners tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org, or call 757-276-1099. If you can't become a partner but would like to make a donation to Something Good Radio today, we'd love for you to have the complete audio download of the series you're hearing now, What on Earth is Happening?, Examining the Prophecies of Jesus. That's all eight messages in Ron's teaching series, What on Earth is Happening? Our gift to you by request for your gift to Something Good Radio. 
Make a donation online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456, or you can call our offices 757-276-1099. How much nearer is it to us today? And are you living in that state of readiness where the thought of the second coming and the soon return of Jesus is never far from your thinking or from your conversation? And you're praying, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And if you don't come today, help me to be in that ready position to share uh, the blessed hope that I have in my heart with somebody else to help them get ready for his soon return. Stay awake, friends. Stay alert. Don't become drowsy, or the midnight cry may just pass you by. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Midnight Cry. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.